Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It is Zane Acme and Al Sacco back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Al, it's another close, heartbreaking loss of the 49ers. It feels like over the last two years with Kyle Shanahan, they've repeatedly been in these games and have not been able to finish or have made a crucial mistake in the end. And there are a lot of positives to take from this game. And there's a lot to move forward with and understand that they can compete with some of these playoff type teams and hostile atmospheres and tough places to play if they get a little bit of roster help. But Al, I'm, I'm encouraged overall with the performance that they had. There were some things here and there that they could clean up, but given the state of the roster and injuries and all of that stuff in the rebuild, you have to be pretty pleased with the fact that they hung in with Green Bay until literally the last minute of the game. It was a great game. It was an exciting game. It was a fun game to watch. Like you said, there were a lot of things that you could really hang your hat on. <laughs> at the same point, every week, it's like this team finds a new way to rip your heart out. Yeah. And at this point, I, I guess it's all about how you want to look at this season. The first way would be the Niners are 1-5. They could easily be 0-6 as they have an NFL worst negative 11 turnover ratio right now. They've turned the ball over 14 times and only have three takeaways. But the other way you can look at it is despite losing their QB, despite using, losing their running back and all the other injuries, if they only stop shooting themselves in the foot, if Morris doesn't fumble on the one-yard line and they can actually catch the ball in week one, if Selleck doesn't have that pass bounce off his shoulder pads against the Chargers, if they even remotely take care of the ball against the Cardinals, and we'll get into week six in the second half of the show, but if they just played sound fundamental football, they could be four and two. Mm-hmm. They, they could even be five and one. Yeah. The team is close and as ugly as it's been, it, it just seems like a couple plays here and there, and all of a sudden that we could be looking at the season totally differently. I mean, even if they're three and three right now without Garoppolo, we're talking about Shanahan is, is, is doing this amazing job, and just a couple of plays are, would be the difference in that. And we need to find out answers the rest of the year. We may not find them out in 2018. It, it may be 2019 to be the year to circle when we really know wh- where they're going. Year three of the rebuild will be huge, and we have to see the progress then. And, and I don't mean moral victories. The type, of victory, the type of games where you're like, well, we should be proud we hung around, that type of thing. We need to see Ws in year three. Next year has to at least be a 500 year for them. They can't have a fifth straight year of 10-plus losses. Um you know, it looks like this season is going to be 10. It looks like that's inevitable. But you know what? After the Rams, this is going to be a really tough game. But after every game after this is winnable, assuming the Rams rest their starters in week 17. So mm. we'll see where this goes. And we'll see how this team looks three weeks from now and five weeks from now and in moving forward. And we're going to have a good show today. And, and like we said, there are some positive things to talk about based on, on that Packers game. And, and maybe it'll make it sting a little bit less. And, and as usual, we also have a great guest that we're really excited about this week to talk to. And I'm excited because we're, we're continuing to, to develop our relationship with NFL Network. And we're really pleased to welcome in our guest today, NFL Network's own Elliot Harrison. And here he is. Our guest is an NFL Network analyst, and you could see him every Tuesday on NFL Power Rankings at 3 p.m. Pacific. He is Elliot Harrison. Elliot, thanks for being here. You bet. All right, Elliot, anytime we have someone who's reached the level you have in the world of sports media, I'm always curious to hear about the journey to get there. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started and eventually how you ended up with NFL Network? Yeah, um, 
No, I actually was not involved in sports when I moved to Los Angeles. I had I had in college. I'd been a basketball announcer briefly, um, but I had always wanted to to do more of the color than the play-by-play, so to speak. Which, if you didn't play in the NFL or didn't coach, there was no opportunity to do that. And so I actually worked in the private sector, and and I, uh, when I was about thirty years old, I decided to that I wanted to maybe late twenties that I wanted to get back in sports, mm-hmm. and I took an entry level job uh, at Fox, and uh, I worked my way behind the scenes um, in an NFL editorial capacity, a research kind of capacity, and then I also wrote. Um, and I did that for Fox. And when I got to the NFL, I actually applied for a job at the NFL, got a call incidentally from someone that I used to work with at Fox to let me know there was an opening. And I went to the NFL with the intention of doing the same thing. And I realized that really if I wanted to work on the air uh, as well, that, that writing would be the way to do that. And so I went and started working for NFL.com. I asked them what they needed. And I think, <laughs> humbly, I think I provided what they needed on the site at the time. And eventually that morphed into occasionally having me on uh, as a writer, you know, to give my insights. And I, I guess that went well enough that uh, they started trusting me to do more TV work. But really, uh, it, it, it really started in my late twenties, just wanting to do something that I enjoyed more than just working in the business world. So the impetus to get involved in the industry just said, Hey, whatever it takes, I'm just going to get involved. So, you know, not everybody at that age at say 30 years old wants to take an entry level job, but I felt like all I needed to do was get myself in the building. Well, that's, that's a great story. So you pretty much just said late twenties, I'm just going for it. And just kind of, that, that's fantastic. Was that a tough decision for you? I mean, was that like, did you have to sit and ponder, you know, is this really what I want to do? Is this worth it? Or did you just kind of dive in? Absolutely. I mean, it was tough because I, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, but I had a very comfy job, you know, as far as, you know, I had benefits and, you know, I was living my life and, you know, going out and doing just normal things that, uh, you know, say a 28 year old does. but. I I think the tough part was deciding okay if I'm going to do this I may not I may not be able to support myself mm-hmm. and and it turns out I was right uh, because I started doing it on top of my day job once my day job found out I had I was moonlighting that's what we used to call it I don't know what they call it anymore um, I make it sound like I was born in 1850 I'm sorry it's not that <laughs> long ago but. You know, I I ended up losing my day job over it. You know, they just didn't want wow. comfortable, not in a negative, bad way, but they just weren't comfortable with me doing that. And they kind of gave me an ultimatum and I decided to go for it. Well, when you're making about, uh, you know, I was, I was not making anywhere near the amount of money I needed to support myself. So um, I had to figure things out. And uh, luckily I did and was able to, to, um, when your back's against the wall, your talent comes out a lot more because you've got to figure things out. And so as scary as it is to uh, start a new career at, say, 30 or 40 or what have you, 
your maturity level is different than it is at 21 or two also. And your back's more against the wall. Whereas when you're 22, you know, Al, you think I've got plenty of opportunities to burn, you know? Um, Whereas you don't think you have those opportunities to burn when you're 30. You do such a good job with the power rankings, and I can only imagine the time that goes into something like that. What's the preparation like for you to get the power rankings and the show together? Well, I, uh, you find the main thing is that I watch the games. Uh, you know, I, obviously I can't watch every second of every game. And so one of the toughest, I'd say the toughest part of the power rankings is not actually doing it, it's the reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, fans hammer me all the time. No one's ever happy with my work because they're not happy with where their team is. And I don't think that people realize, you know, I don't just rank the teams. So, like, if you look at other sites, they're aggregated between a lot of analysts and and most of them. And they, as a joint media group, they pick, you know, where the teams are going to be ranked. And you might have one line. I'm writing over 100 words on every team. And I'm doing this myself. And so... I think the hardest part for me is that I wish the power ranking looked at as more of a article in the same vein as Monday morning quarterback, as opposed to just ranking teams, because it's 4,200 words. Uh, in order to put that together, you have to try to watch as much of the, all the games as you can. So even if Titans Ravens is a lousy 21 to nothing blowout with 11 sacks, I still got to dive into it. So not every game right. can be as exciting as the 49ers, lost to the Packers on Monday night. Or is heartbreaking. <laughs> and speaking right. of that game, you moved the 49ers up uh, one spot to 31 in your most recent rankings, and they were the only team to move up after a loss. What did you see out of the team on Monday night that made you, uh, or that influenced you to move them up? Well, honestly, I wanted to move them up higher. Um, I thought long and hard about moving San Francisco up higher, but I just, I tried to stay true to what I did the week before. I tried to stay true to staying consistent so there's not all these wild fluctuations. And the fact is the 49ers lost one of the worst teams in the league at home the week before in the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. And so you can't overreact to what you just saw. I always like to see a two- to three-week catalog. So let's say the 49ers lost this week, uh, you know, uh, 44 to 35 and stayed with them. I'll probably move them up again because they've displayed they can hang with the really good teams in the league. Um, that said, I moved them up to one spot because they did it on a one-week basis. And I'm still saying that, you know, I know everyone is uh, lamenting Jimmy Garoppolo not being there, but, you know, C.J. Beathard, I don't know why people are so down on him. Uh, he's mobile. He's tough. He uh, generally delivers the ball on time. And if you actually look at his second interception the other night, I think Goodwin could have done a better job fighting for that football uh, instead of getting boxed out on that deep, deep pass interception. Um, I just don't think the 49ers are quite as bad as, as other people do, so I, I moved him up in a loss. And again, I do have him at 31 now, so I must not get that good. <laughs> right. It, it's been such, such a tough season with the injuries, and the teams also shot themselves in the foot. I mean, they've been in a lot of games, but they just, for example, they've committed 14 turnovers this season and only have three takeaways. So it's been frustrating. But as you look at San Francisco from an, a national perspective, do you see them as an unfortunate team, a bad team, or maybe just a mixture of both? 
I don't want to say they're unfortunate because I don't know that their injuries are as devastating as people made them out to be. So let's start with the first one, right? Eric McKinnon. Uh, you know, Eric McKinnon, what was he coming into this year? I know there was a lot of fantasy hype about what he would do with Kyle Shanahan. But are you going to tell me that 10 teams were vying for Jared McKinnon thinking he was a top, you know, 10 running back in the league? You know, I mean, this is a guy that was coupled with Latavius Murray, who the Raiders didn't want anymore mm-hmm. last year. And so I'm not saying that the injury was important. Of course it was. I just think that it was overblown because of the fantasy focus that we have now and people anticipating that he would be a real sleeper for Kyle Shanahan instead of looking at it as, Kirk McKinnon was a mid-tier free agent. That's what he was. Um, now, Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo played very well last year, but it was also his first time through the lineup, so to speak. So to use a San Francisco Giants analogy, uh, just like uh, you know, a pitcher gets to see a batting lineup, those batters get to see a pitcher their second at bat and kind of know what his stuff is. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't faced any teams twice. And some of those wins were close last year. I'm thinking the Tennessee game. And then the fifth game that he won in a row, the Rams didn't start anybody. I think they started Sean Mannion at quarterback. They were mailing it in, essentially, to, to get ready for the playoffs. So I, Jimmy might have been Jimmy Garoppolo might have been a little bit overblown last year. They didn't have a good offseason in the public domain. I think you know what I mean there. Uh, and, um, you know, I just think that's been a little overblown. So I don't want to call them unfortunate, but I also don't want to say they're a bad team. They've got some good talent. Now, on paper, the 49ers seem to have a talented defense with names like Sherman, Foster, Buckner. But the unit, it, it showed promise last year, but it's really struggled in 2018. Are you surprised by that, or is the lack of an edge rush possibly having a ripple effect on the whole unit? Well, I think. I think one of the changes to pro football now is it's very hard for defenses to play suffocating football. Uh, What you saw from the Ravens this week, shutting out the Titans, getting 11 sacks, uh, that's very hard to do. It's It's very hard to play coordinated defense where you shut teams down without sacks and turnovers because the rules are so... Uh, beneficial to the offense. So in order for a defense to be a top-notch unit, they really need to get turnovers or sacks or both. So with the 49ers, not having edge rush makes it a lot harder for them, uh, one, to force turnovers, and two, to create negative plays. Because I don't care how good good your defense is now, you're going to give up yards. I think the average yards, total yards per game in the league this year right now is 366 per, per game. That's a lot of yards if you go back even 20 years, 10 years. Um, it's just getting more and more difficult. So I think with the 49ers, not having that edge rusher is huge. Look what happened with the Bears. Now, I know they lost this week, right? The Khalil Mack twisted his ankle early in that game. Khalil Mack made a huge difference with that team. Their defense was already pretty solid, but they needed that pass rusher, and, and it yep. changed the team. What's your take on how they've used Solomon Thomas? They took him number three overall a couple years ago, 
and he's basically a rotational defensive lineman. Do you think they're misusing him, or or did they just miss on that pick? You know, it's difficult to say uh, this early in the game to me. Now, some people say, look, if you, you know, by year two, if they're not producing, then you know they're a bust, okay? Tom Landry, you know, used to say that you give a player three years. But nobody wants to do that anymore because with the salary cap and the player movement now, uh, you don't you don't really have three years to do that. But I'm going to use the 49ers opponent uh, Monday night as a good example of why you shouldn't bury a guy, so to speak, or give up on a guy. Look at Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. Devontae Adams made huge plays for the Packers the other night. He was the best receiver on the field. But I can tell you that just three years ago, everyone wanted to be rid of Devontae Adams. He had a bad case of the dropsies. And it was almost like you felt like Aaron Rodgers couldn't trust him. And he was a young player. Another one is Nelson Aguilar of the Eagles. Another guy that people wanted to give up. Now, wide receiver is a very difficult transition. But uh, we'll, go a diff- we'll go someone more similar. Demarcus Lawrence in Dallas. The Cowboys got very little out of him his first couple of years in the league. Do you think the 49ers would be a lot better if they had Demarcus Lawrence right now? <laughs> I mean, it'd be a a different defense. But look it up. DeMarcus Lawrence's rookie year was 2014. You know, this is year five for him. So I I think it's a little difficult to give up on somebody just yet. And finally, Elliot, this season obviously hasn't gone the way the 49ers hoped. One in five right now. And actually, if you go back to 2016, they're three and 25 in the months of September, October, November. So it's been a massive rebuild that's happening, but what's your overall assessment on the job that John Lynch and Kyle Shannon have done so far? I think with what they started with, they're doing fine. Um, a couple things didn't work out. Uh, Brian Hoyer didn't work out. Uh, you know, I'm starting from the beginning of the administration, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if you don't get quarterback right, it's huge. Now, that sounds like so cliche, but the reality of the situation is is that quarterback now is more important than ever. And it's more important not just because of the rules changes and because it's the quarterback, and that's what everybody says on every broadcast. But you have to realize the financial ramifications of it. Once your quarterback starts making uh, big-time money, okay, like Jimmy Garoppolo, it takes up such a high percentage of your salary cap that you can't pay ancillary players. Look at the Seahawks in the 49ers division. So if, you, if your quarterback situation doesn't turn out okay, um, you're more up the creek than ever. Okay, Brian Hoyer did not play at the level they thought he was. Garoppolo was a, a great move, but they don't have him right now. And you're playing with a guy who kind of got thrust back in there. Oh, by the way, it was the second year for C.J. Beathard, right? Uh, There's a long list of quarterbacks who weren't great as sophomore players, and it's not like C.J. Beathard came in with a ton of pedigree. So, you know, I think that is what's really hurting them. The McKinnon injury hurt. I think they could use an upgrade at at a few positions. I think they need help in the secondary. Uh, We're watching that team every day closely. So if you disagree, by all means, interject here. But in my <laughs> mind, if, if, 
if I'm Barbara Eaton and I'm blinking my eyes like I dream a genie right now, and I'm saying, okay, how do I fix the Niners? I want secondary help. Give me another corner. I need a pass rusher. Those are my two biggest needs. I need to make sure that McKinnon is going to be okay going into this next offseason. Uh, otherwise, I feel pretty strong at the position if he comes back with depth. And uh, I do think it would help if the 49ers had more of a red zone threat at wide receiver. Uh, Kittle's done a really nice job for them. But wouldn't it be great to have a, I don't know, a Brandon Marshall in his prime or a Des Bryant in his prime, that kind of guy that you could go to inside the eight-yard line, throw the back shoulder fade to, Am I missing something? What am I missing? No, I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head, my friend. I think you're right there. You know, you can, look. Every team could use offensive line help. Every team. Um, and I'm not I'm not uh, uh, inventing anything new, saying an extra corner and pass rusher. But I think for this team in particular, the pass rusher and corner is more important than the offensive side of the ball, in my mind. Uh, and, but I, I also think that you want to give Bethard or Garoppolo uh, an opportunity to make some hay when you're inside the 20, and that's where the red zone threat comes in. Elliot, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. You bet. No problem. Okay, thanks again to Elliot. And, and Zane, looking at this game, I guess I want to start off with one thing Elliot alluded to, and that was the play of C.J. Bethard, and he was he was complimentary of how Bethard has looked so far in Bethard. I thought in this game, I played terrific, just terrific going on there. You're going to Lambeau field on Monday night and he went in there and, and he moved the ball and he put up points. There were a couple of things that he did. He missed George Kittle on a third down pass. There was the interception at the end, but overall he played really, really well. And I, I talked a lot in the off season. If anything happened to Garoppolo, can C.J. Beathard steer the ship? And last week against the Cardinals was not a good game. And, and there are going to be more games that aren't good for him. He's a young quarterback. He's going to be up and down. But he, he played very well against the Chargers on the road. He plays very well against Packers on the road here in week six. And we'll see what he does for the rest of the season. But you have to feel good right now that C.J. Beathard at least gives this team a chance to win. I agree, Al. And by the way, shout out to Elliot Harrison for joining us again. And, and I'm really appreciative. Anytime we get these national guys coming on our show and talking to us about the larger perspective of the team. It kind of kind of walks you back from the edge a little bit. If you're feeling like the team is down in the dumps and you really don't have any hope. And there are people that feel that way that are out there. But if you feel if you feel that way, you have to listen to some of these national people and, and see how the team is viewed in the larger perspective. And it's not that bad when you take a step back. I think that that that's kind of what's needed at this time is perspective, right? It's, it's going to be a long season. We know that, but when you talk to guys like Elliot, like it helps to, it helps me at least to walk myself off of the ledge and be like, okay, it's, this is part of the process. You have to kind of trust the process. It doesn't make it any less frustrating, but at least you're kind of more understanding about it. So thank you again to Elliot. Now to CJ, when the biggest attribute that you can say about a quarterback is that he's tough. That's usually that's kind of like a not a knock against him because uh, because he's not maybe as athletically gifted or he doesn't have the best vision. But for CJ, I think that there's there's some there that you can work with. Obviously, we know the guy's tough as nails, and as he plays more, he's getting better. I feel like last year you know you would not have been able to see that game out of CJ Beathard that we saw last week against Green Bay. I don't feel like he was there last year. I think that 
there's still some things that he can work on. Like he turns the ball over a lot. And that's one of the things that ultimately is a quarterback's failing in the NFL. But again, you have to look at who he's surrounded by and the situation that he's thrown in this, this offense was tailored for Jimmy Garoppolo was not tailored for CJ Beathard. So all that being said, going into green Bay, playing with a limited sort of roster and limited experience. I think that CJ did, did an amazing job. I thought that for the first, three and a half quarters, the first 58 minutes of the game, he was really good. He only threw the ball 23 times. And Al, this is what we talked about last week. I mentioned that the only game that CJ has won, and coincidentally, the only game that Kyle Shanahan has won without Jimmy Garoppolo, they limited CJ's attempts to, I believe there are 26 or 27 attempts that game. They were under 30. And they did the same thing on Sunday against Green Bay. And when you kind of put him in that role, I feel like that's, that's when he's best. He's not best when he's throwing the ball 37 to 40 times a game or 40 plus times a game. He's best controlling the game, managing the game, being able to supplement with the run a little bit. And they did run run very well, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I feel like when he's put into that almost game manager sort of role, he's much better because then you can really plan your offense around some of his limitations. CJ last year in his five starts, he completed 55% of his passes. In the three starts this year, he completed 60, he's completed 64% of his passes. Mm-hmm. The one issue with him that he's got to clean up, he's got to clean up the turnovers and he's throwing 10, he's throwing nine touchdown passes. I'm sorry, yeah. Nine touchdown passes and 10 interceptions so far in his eight starts. So he's, he's got to clean up those turnovers. And actually the Niners as a whole, for whatever reason, they turn the ball over a lot more with CJ in his eight starts. The team has turned the ball over 20 times. Wow. So that definitely has to get cleaned up once it does. This team can upset some people in in the second half of the season because he continues to move the ball. And even in the Arizona game, when that with all the turnovers and only scored eighteen points or whatever it was, he still had a ton of yards. He moved the ball up and down the field. Just the turnovers killed them. In his three starts, he's thrown for two ninety eight, three forty nine, and two forty five. And the Niners have scored twenty seven points, eighteen points, and thirty points. So other than the Arizona game, the offense hasn't been the problem with CJ. And one, what you mentioned, Zane, was that they had him throw less in this game, that it's, it's a better recipe for them if he's only throwing 20, 25 times as opposed to 40, 50 times. Mm-hmm. And a big reason or a big part of them allowing him to do that is how well this offensive line is playing in front of him. Now, the 49ers offensive line to me has been a huge surprise this year. I was really worried about how they would gel was really worried about the guard play in terms of Mike Person and, and Lake and Tomlinson, but both of those guys have played very, very well this season. Their pro football focus grades, Tomlinson's a 69.4 and Person's 72.9. Richburg's had a decent year at center. Joe Staley hasn't quite been Joe Staley, but he still played well. He still, he still had, a, had a pretty good season. And, and McGlinchke's been, been just as advertised. He's been dominant in the run game, and he's a huge reason huge reason why the team is averaging 5.1 yards per carry and has 855 yards this season, which is third in the NFL. Matt Breida, 63 carries, 430 yards right now, okay? He's on pace to get, have a 1,000-yard season. He's on pace for 1,147 yards and just 168 carries. Man. Can you imagine that kind of production on, on only 168 carries? And we saw Mostert come in, and he had was it 12 carries for 86 yards or something along those lines came in and, and, and ran fantastic. And, and I liked, I, I, Shanahan said that it would change probably week to week more, so get more playing time depending on the matchup. 
But I love what they did with Moster and Breida. I think that's a great combination with that speed and can be effective. And again, if the 49ers can run the ball like that and CJ can play even 85% of the way that he did against the Packers, could be a better second half of the season than, than some of us are expecting. Isn't it funny how things work out, Al? We were so worried about the offensive line in the in the preseason. We were so worried about who's going to play right guard and how McGlinchey was going to pan out in his growing pains and if these guys would be able to protect the quarterbacks and open up holes for the running backs. We were so concerned about that. And we were not concerned at all about the wide receivers. We're like, oh, it's a good group. They have enough talent. Marquise Goodwin is the number one. And Goodwin had a great game against Green Bay, which we'll get to. But we were we were totally off on that. It's just the way the NFL season happens, right? This is the way that, that it goes. Injuries happen. And this happens every year to teams. So I think that that being said, the offensive line has been just one of those units that's been the most stable of the entire team. I, I think that there hasn't been another unit that you could count on more than the offensive line. They've been playing through injuries. They've all played together. I believe they played... I believe they play all 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 six games together, Al. If I'm not mistaken, so they've they've all started the same they've started the same offensive line for all six games. I'll have to check on that. Well, I think per- Person was out one week. I think. Oh, that's right. Person was out one week. That's that's correct. Yep. Person was out one week, and then and then obviously the game against Minnesota, McGlinchey had to slide over and play guard for a little bit. But as far as starting, they've started five out of the six games together, and I feel like they're really starting to gel. And in this zone blocking scheme, it's important for the offensive linemen to be able to gel. And we heard, we heard about that before the season from Kyle and from all the offensive linemen, frankly, when they got interviewed and, and they know that, that there's going to be some growing pains and bumps in the road, but so far they've been really good. And I think that this running game, you saw a lot of pitches to the outside. You saw a lot of off tackle plays. You saw a, a lot of outside runs because they're basically letting the running back pick that hole or pick when he wants to cut back. And the, that was really effective because Matt Breida is a really good cutback runner. He hits the hole really hard. He's got a lot of speed. He runs tough too, and that's something that we didn't expect because of his size. But he's a, for his size, he's a really tough runner. And the way that they mixed the run of the pass in that game, I felt like they they first of all they started really well. Again, they started just like the Arizona game. That first scripted drive was really really well done by Kyle Shanahan and the offense. And they continued that throughout the first half, where I believe they were almost even on runs to passes for the entire half, and they went into half with the lead. And I think you'll probably see more of that. This is probably the type of offense that Kyle Shanahan wanted to run with McKinnon in there. But once McKinnon got hurt, obviously that throws off your game plan. But really right now, I think that at this point, Kyle's like, okay, well, we're just going to have to run the original game plan that we were going to run when the season started with some minor tweaks based off of personnel. But there's really nothing you can do. There's so many injuries. There's so much more talent that needs to be added on this team. I just think that at this point, he's just looking for his game to work. And with this group on the offense, He's kind of seeing guys that are producing, and Matt Breida has been so impressive. He's been so good in what we thought would be a limited role, and I think he's getting the bulk of the carries now, but he's been so good with the opportunities that he's had. And Mostert, Kyle Shanahan challenged him this past week after the fumble last week to play better, and he he showed out and showed up. And I think that for the 49ers, if you can get production out of these lower sort of roster players, like special teams players, it's even better because next year that gives you another weapon that really other teams have to prepare for. And the other big X factor in this game was the re- return of Marquise Goodwin, who looked healthy for the first time in the season and, and what an impact he made. No 49ers wide receiver had more than 188 yards or more than two touchdown catches on the season coming into this game. Goodwin put up 126 and scored two touchdowns on four catches. And he 
that big play ability, the long touchdowns, the speed. It just you could see the difference that it makes in the offense. The defense has to account for it. They couldn't stop it. And it, it was it seems like that was the missing ingredient on this offense for the first five weeks. Even when Goodwin played those first couple of games that he played in, he, he didn't look like himself. He wasn't healthy. And this looks like the first time he really looked like Marquise Goodwin, the Marquise Goodwin that we saw towards the end of last year with that speed. And it was good to see him hook up with Bethard and, and Bethard was really feeding him the ball and looking for him. And if he can play like that moving forward, it's going to have a ripple effect on the entire, entire not just the wide receivers and, and the pass catchers, but the entire offense. Goodwin looked really good. And he was on KNBR this morning on a, on the weekly, their weekly radio show that they do where they bring a Niners player on. And he mentioned that he was still playing through some stuff. So he's still not a hundred percent, but he's still playing through it. And when he's on the field, this offense, Al, it looks so different. It looks so much more dynamic and they have that deep threat. And I don't want to just call him a deep threat wide receiver because he runs the entire route train. We mentioned this last year about him that he was able to develop into a complete receiver where he just wasn't running nine routes. He was running over the middle. He was running slant passes or slant routes. He was taking button hooks and screens, and he was basically able to do everything that you would want want one of your top receivers or your top receiver to do. And I think that with him out, the offense really didn't have that home run threat. They didn't really have that threat of a guy that can that can run the entire route tree that that is effective at all of the routes. You've got guys like Garcon and Trent Taylor, and when Dante Pettis was healthy, there they do one or two good things pretty well. But Marquise Goodwin is one of those guys that can do like everything well, and we see that on a weekly basis when he's healthy. So I think that getting him back was huge, and he just needs to stay healthy. I think that his issue for most of his career before he came to the 49ers was that he just couldn't stay healthy. But when he's healthy, he's obviously the best receiver on the team. He's one of the better receivers in the division, and he's a, a guy that really CJ can count on. And hopefully, Marquise can build on this year, get a thousand yards, finally get over that threshold. He was close last year; should have got a thousand yards if he didn't take a dirty hit from the Rams in the last game of the season. But you're really seeing him grow into his own as a player, and I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he can do the rest of the season and next season when Jimmy gets back. Now, other than the turnovers, we're singing the praises of the offense, an offense that scored 27 points or more in four of six games this season. Now, on the flip side, they have a defense that's given up 27 points or more in five of six games. The Niners have 14 turnovers this season and, and have only taken the ball away three times, which, which you've said a couple times on the show already. I saw a stat today, Pro Football Focus put out. They had an article about pass rushing proficiency and grades and things like that. So I took a look at it. And the Niners actually, um, their pass, their pass rushing pressure percentage is 10th in the league at 36%. Mm. Their pressure when blitzing is seventh in the league at 64.2%. So those numbers indicate that the 49ers are putting pressure on the quarterback. So I read that and I'm like, all right, that sounds like they're doing a good job. Let me go dig a little deeper here. So I, I just went and looked. They're 25th in the league in sacks with 12. And again, we mentioned those takeaways where they only have three. So based on those numbers, it would appear anyway that this team is getting pressure, but it's not resulting in any negative plays for the opposing offense. Now, what does pro football focus constitute as pressure? Is it a guy sort of kind of rushed the throw, but the quarterback was still able to step up and, and get a throw off? Or is it disrupting the QB's play? I really don't know how they break that down. But if the Niners are at least getting decent pressure and they're still giving up the yardage that they are, that's a concern and you have to wonder why. And for me, 
I would say for that, one of the big reasons is you can put all the pressure on you want to. Eventually, you got to get home. And you got to have somebody off off the edge that can get home. And, and we know that's the problem. And this defense started out again. The first quarter, they looked lost, mm. missing assignments. There was that the one the one touchdown, um, I forget who I threw it to, but it looked like Jimmy Ward was lined up on the wrong side and he started running. I don't know why somebody didn't call a timeout. But again, they just looked lost and, and it was pathetic for the first few drives for the Packers. And then they got it together. Then all of a sudden they were blitzing and it was working and the defense played really well for two and a half quarters or whatever it was until the end again when the breakdown started and Rodgers went up and down the field. So the defense played better against Arizona, but again, look at the competition. And then they really showed some, really some promise in this game for at least part of it. I mean, they nearly put together a full game. But I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting to see if, if this unit's going to turn the corner as well. It's, it's been bad. I still, the issues to me, the fact that there's so many mental errors and so many breakdowns, I still think that goes to coaching to me. And I, I don't want to come on the show every week and say Salah's got to go. I mean, we know how we feel about Salah. And, and like I said, I think he's, you know, he's going to be there. Barring a miraculous turnaround, I think he's going to be the fall guy for the season. But I just want to see if this team can turn around and on defense. And also moving forward, you're one in five. As, as much as I hope the upset the Rams are probably going to be one in six after this week. If if Witherspoon is healthy, play him. Live 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 with the growing pains. I hated if he if he was hurt, and I, I know I know his I know he's got a bum ankle right now, so that could be the reason he wasn't on the field. But if he's healthy, play him and live with the growing pains. Jimmy Ward's not going to be there next year. Maben is probably not going to be there next year, or if he is, he's not going to play a huge role. I want to see Witherspoon out there, and I want to live with the growing pains. I want to see Solomon Thomas play his natural position and lift it. What did Solomon Thomas play? Twenty five snaps, saying yeah, it was twenty something, right? Twenty six snaps. 20, 26 snaps. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Put him on the inside and see what you have. So that's what I want to see through the next nine games or 10 games, nine games, whatever for the Niners is put those guys on the field, put the guys who might be your future on the field. And, and I, I want to live with the growing pains. I, I, that's the only way that these guys are going to get better. And hopefully we could see, see this defense turn a corner. Now we kind of get to the meaty part of the show, Al. Like before the offense, everything's fine on the offensive side. I think that barring the turnovers and things like that, the offense is there. And I've been saying that for a few weeks now. The offense is there. They just need to clean up the turnovers. They don't take a lot of penalties. They don't take a lot of holding calls. They don't take a lot of false starts. Like they're, they're, a, pretty, they're a pretty decent unit. I think their issue is that they just need to hang out with the balls. So the offense is close. It's really close. And I think that with a couple more playmakers, they could be one of those elite sort of offenses. Now the defense, that's another issue. They did show up for stretches in that Green Bay game. They did play very, very well against what is arguably the best quarterback that Green Bay has ever had and one of the best of all time. And they held their own and they they did play well and they were able to get stops when they needed them. And there were times in that game where I was like, man, the, the 49ers, they look like a totally different team. And I tweeted that out as well. They just looked like a different team. Look looked like a different air about them on, on Sunday against Green Bay. And the defense really lacks consistency because again, I'm with you. Like I think that the coaching needs to change. I think that they probably will look in, look in to bring somebody different uh, to, to replace Salah at some point, if he doesn't turn this thing around real quick, but really it's just weird how they don't get to the quarterback. Like they are always swarming around the quarterback. And how many times do we see that? Especially like even on the last drive where Aaron Rodgers had that long 20 plus yard run, they were swarming around him and he was really just, able to kind of squeeze through and gain a bunch of yardage. And it's just really weird to me that the 49ers get so close. Buckner did that last year as well. All year last year, he got so close and he only had three and a half sacks. 
Now he's getting more this year. He already surpassed his total from last year, but it's just really odd to me. It's, I don't know if they can't wrap up and Solomon Thomas is known for small hands and I don't know what the issue is, but they just, they just don't seem to be able to finish the play. Now, Greg Mabin is not an NFL corner. I'm sorry. Like he's, he's a guy who got pulled off the street. He's a guy who's only playing because of injuries and because of the fact that this is a rebuilding roster. Greg Mabin would not, would not start for any other team in this league. And the 49ers are in that situation where they're having to start him because they don't have anybody better. And I think that next year he's not even going to, he, he either won't be on the roster. Or he's going to be at the bottom of the roster on the practice squad. Like it's just one of those situations where he's playing because they have no other choice. Jimmy Ward went out with the hamstring injury. So they put Maven in and Maven got torched as we know it. So there's really not much you can do about bottom of the roster guys. Like, Oh, this is honestly because of injuries and because of the rebuild, this is a 10 cent roster. And what do you expect out of a 10 cent roster? This is what, this is what they're going to do. So I really, anything that they do better than this, it's, it's a surprise to me. And it's, it's something that I take as, as a building block going forward. But when you have a roster that's near the bottom of the league, they're going to perform like that. You are you are what your record says you are. They're more than five team, and they're performing like that. So, with regard to the the linebackers and and what happened with Ruben Foster and guarding guarding Devontae Adams, like I'm just, just what are you, it's Robert Sala? What are you doing? Like, th- there's no way that Ruben Foster is winning that. That's not putting your guys into position to succeed. You can't you can't substitute out your dime back and put at least put a, like a dime back on him or a slot or move Sherman inside, which they did later on in the game. Like there's just so many breakdowns on this team and, and they do it repeatedly. And it's not even so much that it's execution, it's scheme. It's, it's that they're executing a really poor scheme is what it comes yeah. down to. They are executing. It's just a poor scheme. And I, I tweeted this out during the game. I don't buy for a second that Witherspoon, Colbert, Tart, these guys that we were singing the praises of last year, and these are these good young players, and everybody said, and not just us, national people, everybody was saying, oh, Witherspoon looks good. Man, that safety group in San Francisco, Colbert can be a really good safety. Tart, Tart if he can stay on the field, is going to be a good player. Everyone thought this. You mean to tell me all three of those guys are randomly garbage? Mm-hmm. Just, I don't buy it, man. I just yeah. don't buy it. There's got to be more there. Colbert's banged up, we know that. Witherspoon is banged up. We know that. We know these guys are hurting, but that doesn't excuse the mental errors that we've seen from them and, and from the players in front of them. And, you know, I'm sure Fred Warner's a rookie. He's, he's, make, he's doing all the communication. That's hard for a rookie, and I'm sure he's having growing pains with that. But I just, I, I don't buy that these guys, even Foster hasn't looked like Foster. And, and it, I don't think these guys have become worse players in a couple months. I don't think they're just all of a sudden garbage. There's more there. And I, I know I said I wasn't going to jump on Robert Sala. I guess I am. <laughs> Something has to be done. There's deeper issues on the D. And, and to me, I still, I still think Witherspoon has a future. I still think Colbert has a future. I still think Tart has a future. I still think that these guys can play. And a lot of stuff with Witherspoon to me, there's been a few mental things with him where I'm like, what are you doing, man? And there's he's gotten earned at times, but he's played pretty well at times too. I just don't think he's healthy. And and maybe you're seeing a situation with the mental errors where maybe they don't trust what's happening in front of them. You know, you know what I'm saying by that? Maybe they don't trust where their teammates are gonna be. Maybe, like you said, they don't trust the scheme or the call or whatever it is. But there's a bigger issue and and they need to fix it. And and I think it's gonna help as as we transition to the coaching anyway. It's going to help Kyle Shanahan because Kyle Shanahan's we know he's a brilliant offensive to me. I I, I still think he's a, he's a great offensive play caller. 
Mm-hmm. I think the Niners will continue to score points. They keep scoring points with him. The, the Niners couldn't score points for three and a half years or whatever it was. And then Shanahan comes in and all of a sudden they're putting up 27 a game pretty much. That's going to be there. Counting somebody on defense to sort of be a defensive head coach to kind of get that side of the ball straight. And, and right now they have somebody who's an experienced in Salas. So they need, they need to get that experienced defensive coordinator in, in, in my opinion. Now, Kyle in this game, I thought he called one of the best games I've seen him call as a Niners head coach. But we'll talk about the elephant in the room, which is the end of the game, right? Now, I thought he got a little conservative towards the end, but I was fine with that. The Niners are running the ball great. Keep, keep trying to pound it in there. I had no issue with that. What I'm obviously talking about is what happened on the last drive of the game for them. Now, Niners had the ball. They had a first down tie game. I think it was a minute 55 left or something like that. And at that point in the game, as a head coach, you either have to make sure that two things happen. Either you win the game or you go to overtime. There's no way you can give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers in that situation. In the first play, I think it was like a seven-yard pass to Kittle, wasn't it? Yep. On the yep. first play? Yep. Um, and then you have second and three. Now, what Kyle was asked about on the conference call, and what he said was is that he thought that Green Bay was was going to come after him, basically. Um, he thought that they were going to you know, stack the box and, and sell out for the run, so he thought that he had a slant. So he's, what he said on the conference call was that, you know, I thought we would have the slant. Obviously, it got knocked down. Hindsight, I would have rather have called something that worked, but that's what I thought the play was. I had no issue with the third down call. Bethard probably threw it in the wrong place. He would, if he wanted to throw it a good one, he needed to throw it out in front of Goodman's Goodman could have run and gotten it. Mm-hmm. I think the read that he should have done was on, I think it was Kendrick Bourne, might have been open on the left side. That was probably the right read, but I had no issue with that third down play. At that point, go for it, whatever. The issue in hindsight that I had was the second down play because I think you have to run the ball there. Mm-hmm. At least take time off the clock. Because again, if you can't win that game there, you cannot give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. I don't care if they don't have any timeouts. You can't give Aaron Rodgers a minute with the way the defense is playing. You can't do it. And it came back to bite them. So and I think Matt Mayoko said the same thing on, on the radio. I believe that he he thought Shanahan had to run the ball as well on, on second and three. I mean, I just I, I just think Kyle made that. I understand what Kyle was thinking. He thought the slant was going to be there. He was hoping it would get executed. But sometimes it's one thing to be aggressive and it's another to be reckless. And at that point in the game, it's okay to be conservative on one down. If you're throwing on first and you're throwing on third, great, great. On that second down, run the ball, take some time off the clock, make sure that it's just you with a chance to win the game and that Rodgers doesn't have the opportunity. That, that was my issue there. But overall, I don't want to say that it takes away from the game that Kyle called because I, I thought he, he called a great game other than that last series to me. Other than one play in that last series. This was the best call game that I've seen from Kyle Shanahan since he got here. It really is. With, even with Jimmy. I thought that he kept them off balance. I thought that there were four or five plays, probably in each quarter, where a guy was wide open. He would catch the ball and he was wide open. There'd be nobody around him. And there's not many guys in the league that can scheme people open like that. The 49ers don't have the talent to compete with the Green Bay. They don't. They, have no, they had no business being in that game. But the fact is that Kyle Shanahan kept them in that game because he was able to scheme guys open. Now I hope that they get enough playmakers next year where he doesn't have to scheme guys open and he could just have a bunch of athletic freaks be able to just get open on their own. But but when it comes down to it, the roster is what it is, and he's doing the best that he can with what he has. And I think that, again, I maintain, and I've said this all along about Kyle Shanahan, and I maintain this, that he is the brightest offensive mind in the league. If you put any other offensive mind or offensive coordinator or head coach on this team, they're not even close to competing in these games. So I'll start off by saying that. Now, I put it out on Twitter, and, and I was taking some, some heat for it. 
But I, I stand by this and I say that, that Kyle Shanahan basically lost them this game with that, with, by not running the ball that he kept them in the game, but he also lost them the game because you have, you have to understand your situation. You have to understand who, who's on the other side of the field. That's Aaron Rodgers out there. That's not some third string quarterback that or practice squad quarterback in, in the preseason. This is the regular season. You're in green Bay. You're on Monday night. You're playing against one of the greatest, the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You have to know who's on the other side. And when they got the ball back, so Al, it was a minute 48 when they got the ball back, they completed the pass to Kittle. It was seven yards. The clock was running. They ended up uh, taking, I believe, they ran the next play at 116. So they took almost 40 seconds off the play clock, they, they, and they had the incomplete pass. The next incomplete pass resulted in the clock going down to 113. So in all, they took less than, uh, I think, what is it, 41 or 42 seconds, whatever it is, less than 50 seconds off the clock. In that, in, in that one drive. And they gave the ball back to Aaron Rodgers with over a minute left. And when he got the ball back, I'm like, man, this is setting up to be one of those Aaron Rodgers comebacks that's actually like a story tale or fairy tale story or whatever it is. It's setting up to be that way. And that's what ended up happening. But if Kyle Shanahan executes that last drive properly, Aaron Rodgers does not get the ball back. You, you, I'm with you. You cannot give the ball back to Aaron Rodgers. You can't, you can't do that. What I would have done, this is what Kyle should have done. And he, he basically admitted as much on the conference call. And again, as you said, Matt Mayoko said that the, the criticism of Kyle Shanahan is legitimate on this particular play. What he should have done after, after the Kittle throw, which I didn't agree with in the first place, but he, he completed it. So I was like, okay, fine. You got the yardage. That's cool. The clock is running. It's, it's second and two. They were averaging 5.8 yards per carry for the game. You couldn't get two yards on two downs by running the ball and keeping the clock going. You don't care about the, the amount of yardage you get, you care about that first down and extending the drive. Green Bay doesn't have any timeouts. They can't stop the clock. You have control of the game. You're at midfield. So I believe they're on the plus side of the field at that point because the drive started at 49 hours 47. So they're on the plus side of the field with complete control of the game. After that Kittle completion, I would have run the ball. It's either After that, it's either third and short or you get a first down and the clock is running. You run the clock down to about uh, about 40-ish seconds, then the next snap happens. If you want to throw for that, fine. That's fine. If not, then you get a first down. You can extend the drive. You should be playing for a Robbie Gold game-winning field goal. When CJ threw that down the field, and he should not have thrown that down the field. The, the, the right read was Kendrick Bourne, and he missed it, but young quarterbacks will do that. But when CJ threw that ball down the field, I'm like, what are you doing? You needed two yards. You didn't need 20. So that's, these are the mistakes that they can't be making. And Kyle, like he continuously does this every week. He does this where he mismanages either the end of the half or end of the game. And he has to learn. He has to, he has to be better, better at that. And if there's one thing that, that he's not good at, it's end of game situations. You saw it in the Super Bowl. You've seen it repeatedly this year. He's not good at, he's not good at finishing games and he has to learn to be able to do that. And this is one of those, those things that's going to cost you a playoff game or playoff berth if you're rebuilding team. And it's already cost him the Super Bowl. And, I, and I'm hoping that when, when Jimmy gets back next year, that Kyle is able to understand that, hey, there are times where I have to turn that aggressive switch off. Like people, there's constantly people on Twitter saying, oh, I love that he's aggressive and I love this and that. I love that, that, that he's arrogant and he goes down firing all of his bullets. Why? Are you, are you happy that he lost? Are you happy that they lost like that by being aggressive? It, you didn't get anything by being aggressive. The smart play would have been to look, there's a difference between smart football and conservative football. The smart play would have been to run the ball and keep the clock going. And if you go to overtime, at least you get a chance to answer back. If, if you just hold them to a field goal, 
Like I can't, I, I don't like, I, I can't stand people when they say like, Oh, well be aggressive all the time. Nobody wins by being aggressive all the time. No team. Show me one team that wins by being aggressive a hundred percent of the time. No team plays that way. At least some, some point of the time in the game, teams will be a little bit conservative or smart. So the 49ers have to learn that Kyle Shanahan has to learn that, that there's a fine line between being aggressive and being smart. And you, you can't constantly just be aggressive all the time. You have to know when to turn that switch off and when to actually play the percentages. And they didn't. And it cost them a game. I really think that they, they deserve to win this game. They absolutely did. And everybody wants to talk about the defense blowing the game at the end of the Sherman call. Aaron Rodgers should not even gotten ball in the end. That's what my point is. He should not even have the ball for the defense to have a chance to, to blow the game. And yes, they did. Obviously, Greg Maiman had a terrible end to the game. And defense the defense did blow it. And they let Aaron Rodgers drive down the field with no timeouts. But at the same time, he should not have gotten the ball. And if there's one thing about Kyle Shanahan that I would change, this is it, is that he needs to be better at finishing teams off. And hopefully this is just growing pains of a, a young coach. And when these games really start to matter, when the Niners are in a playoff race or a playoff game or whatever it is that, that he's learned from, from these mistakes and he gets better as a head coach. I think he will. I think he will. I think he's, he's too talented of a coach not to. And, you know, I know the gunslinger in you wants to go for it, but he, he, again, it's, it's, there's a difference between being aggressive and being reckless. So hopefully that will all balance out. Do you want to touch on a couple more things? And, and the first one is the Tom Savage signing. And as much as I want to talk about it as this, it's much to do about nothing. I know I saw a lot of things going back and forth on Twitter, like Tom Savage, are you kidding me? Who is this guy? This is a joke. Tom Savage isn't going to play. And if Tom Savage actually gets on the field, it's like a Chris Winkie situation where he started the last game of the season, whatever year it was, 2006, or I don't even remember the year. Yeah. If, if, if Tom Savage is playing quarterback, you're, uh, everything that could possibly could go wrong has gone wrong. CJ Beathard is a starter. Nick Mullins has been in the system for two years. He's the backup. Savage is there as insurance. That, that's all it is. I think it's much to do about nothing. It's not like a signing of, a, of somebody that they're going to have on the team for next year or whatever. He'll, he'll be a, an emergency QB this year. That's it. He's not going to catch up to the offensive system with Mullins or, or Beathard in the time that he has. He's not. It's, it's much to do about nothing. Yeah, it's like they signed somebody to the practice squad. They signed Colwick to the practice squad. Same thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's much yeah. to do about nothing. Yeah, I think that they're just basically bringing him in for insurance. And this is not like he's not going to play any meaningful snaps this year. This is really just one of those things where you have to suit you. They may want to suit up a third quarterback just for in case of emergencies or if CJ's banged up. They want to suit up a third quarterback. So you don't have like your punter going out there and trying to throw passes or anything like that. But yeah, Tom Savage, I don't think anybody needs to really get too wild up about that. Like they're not trying to develop Tom Savage or he's not trying to take the starting job. Like this is. This is Jimmy Garoppolo's team and CJ as, as a side note, Al CJ, if he performs well, I think that 49ers like it's, it's a, it's a great thing for them because they'll have teams knocking at their door for a trade. And I think that's really the best case scenario is that if you can get CJ to perform well, you know, that he's, he's not necessarily the future that this is Jimmy's team. You can flip him for a draft pick and who knows what you can do with that draft pick. So Tom Savage though, I think that Tom Savage is basically like a, a camp, like what you would equivalent equate him to a camp body. Basically, if this was training camp, right? It, that's a good way to put it. It's like a camp body during the regular season. So, yeah, that hopefully, hopefully that's the last we're going to mention him on the show. <laughs> yeah, um, other thing I want to talk about was I put out a poll, and I always appreciate the people who participate in these. We had about twelve hundred votes in, in the poll. I just want to see, I wanted to see where the 49ers fan base was. How are, how are you feeling? Because because you had such an ugly 
loss against the Cardinals, really an inexcusable loss. And then you come out and you play really well and, and you have a heartbreaking loss. So you had two really rough weeks. Well, you've had seven or six or seven really rough weeks, but you've had two really, really rough weeks back to back. So I want to see where the fan base was. And I said, are you still positive? Are you fed up? Are you frustrated, but hopeful? And 30% are still positive. 11% were fed up and 59% were frustrated, but hopeful. And the comments on here, you know, it was a range of comments from some people who were like, listen, I've had enough. You know, they're starting to, to doubt Lynch to people who I, I think most of the people kind of said, you know what, there's been injuries. We need a cornerback. We need a pass rusher. We just need a few things. And then we're in good shape. One of the ones I thought was interesting. Um, and I won't say the name of the person, but they wrote, it's been hard under the Yorks. Growing up in California during the 80s, I got spoiled watching my team win. And aside from the Harbaugh years, in the, York, the Yorks have been terrific losers. I have zero faith in them. I still and always will love my team, but things are just painful. And, and that's a way to look at it. I know for when I get frustrated, I grew up, I was a kid in the 80s, and I saw the teams in the 80s and the 90s. And you know, the Niners were the franchise in sports. So for me, maybe it's like being the Yankee fan in me too. I don't know. But like I, I just always would held held the Niners to a certain standard. Mm-hmm. And I always thought they would kind of be that standard. And to see them have the issues that they have the last 15 years, I thought they were back with Harbaugh. And then that kind of went nuts and, and just crazy things happen. You know, the Alden Smith issues and the Bowman injury and Willis retires and all these crazy things happen. And then you're back in the dumps and it's, it's, it's hard to take. So I, I understand where that person is definitely coming from because, you know, you, you think of the Niners as this, you know, model franchise and it's kind of hasn't been that way lately. But I, I think for the most part um, in September, October and November, the last three seasons, so if you're talking week one from 2016 through to current, this team's three and 25 in those three months. Mm-hmm. So like I said last week on the show, these seasons have been over before they've even started. This team has won three games before Thanksgiving in the last three years up, up to right now. I mean, that's tough to take when you think about it like that. And that's tough as a fan when you get excited for football and you can't wait. And all of a sudden your season's over and it's, you know, it's not even Halloween yet. Mm-hmm. So that's tough to take, but I did appreciate people who participate in the poll and, and I appreciate um, all the feedback everybody gives, whether it's positive, negative, whatever, as a fan, I want to hear what you're feeling. Um, some people said, you know, yeah, frustrated, but hopeful, tired of losing, looking forward to the draft. Um, you know, injuries occur, occur and they're hopeful for next year. Um, you, you know, some stuff about this Salmon Thomas usage and things like that, no matter what you wrote, I appreciate it. And it's, it's, it's a no judgment, zone in terms of what you reply to me on those things like however you're feeling as a fan if you want to vent that's what we're here for that's what Zane and I are if you just want to tweet at us and just say you know what guys I feel good everything's good it's just injuries will be okay great if you want to tweet us and say guys I hate everyone <laughs> this team stinks I'm fed up great if you're a fan you know we'll be a sounding board for that and it's, it's a no judgment zone however you feel you feel it doesn't mean you like the team any less feel, yeah. feel free to tweet at Zane and I for that and I'm sure you feel similar Zane so yeah, just don't be personal. That's all. <laughs> just don't yeah, be yeah, personal. Yeah, obviously, obviously, yeah. It's just, you know, we're all, we're all rooting for the same team here. Yeah, exactly. Um, we all want the same outcome. Yeah. yeah, no personal attacks. But, you know, let, let us know how you're thinking about the team and everything like that. So, anyway. So, game balls for me, Zane. My game ball goes to the entire offensive line. I thought that they set the tone. I thought that they ran the ball. And I thought what they did up front allowed that offense to click. My game ball goes to Marquise Goodwin. First career game with two touchdowns. He had four catches over 100 yards. He was dominant. He looked really, really good. He looked fast. He looked quick. 
He looked healthy, although we know he's not healthy, but he's a difference maker in this offense. I feel like he is the X, X factor that makes the offense go, especially with Jimmy out. I feel like Marquise Goodwin, he has the potential to be a number one receiver and a thousand yard receiver. Hope he gets there this year. He's a little bit behind now with missing those games, but Marquise Goodwin gets my game ball. And before we go, I, I want to address what you said about the, the Yorks and when they took over. So I'm, I'm with you. I grew up watching the 49ers in the late 80s and, and early 90s. I'm a little bit, little bit younger than you are, but we're part of the same sort of era of, of 49er football growing up. And the expectation was Super Bowl or bust. That was like the expectation. If, it, if you didn't make the Super Bowl that year, the year was a failure. There was no like, oh, we're happy to be in the playoffs or we're happy we made the championship game or we, we lost to the eventual Super Bowl winner. No, what Eddie DeBarlow instilled in the team and expected out of the team and what the fans expected in turn was were Super Bowl championships. And the 49ers embarked on, in my opinion, the most dominant run of football in the, in the history of the NFL because it was harder back then to be dominant. It's, it's easier now because of the rules, like the, because of what you have. The, the football back then was, it was a different game. And you know now you look at the way the teams are constructed and what the 49ers are, and it's just hard to see them. I'm one of those fans that's hopeful but frustrated because, Al, it's been, it's been 25 years since the 49ers won the Super Bowl. Can you believe that? It's a long time. Yeah, it's been crazy. It's been a long time. And this is a team that we were like, when, when we were growing up, it's like, hey, it's been three years since, since they won the Super Bowl. What's going on? Like, like let's, right. let's bring right. some more talent in. Let's fire the coach. Let's do whatever. And now you're, you're sitting on almost three decades without a Super Bowl win. And that's a really long time for any team. And for 49ers fans who have basically – grown up around winning and cut their teeth on a team that was the dominant, most dominant franchise in the NFL and have seen players, hall of fame players one after another walk through the door for them to see this, like a, like I said earlier, a 10 cent roster that's going out every week. It's frustrating. It is frustrating. So to that, I say that this is part of the process of rebuilding. Now the 49ers hopefully will get there with Jimmy Garoppolo. This is the first time in a long time that I feel this hopeful about a quarterback and, and a regime. I feel like Kyle Shanahan is a great coach, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And if you get somebody to help him out with the defensive side of the ball, like you mentioned, I think that he'll be really good. I think that John Lynch, he's going through some lumps as a general manager, but he's one of those guys that he's the anti-Trembalki. I feel like he's going to learn and hopefully they won't overcorrect next year. But Al, like I really hope next year they, they take it seriously and, that, and they don't go the conservative route like they have the first two years. Like you have to make something happen next year. Now is when this is year three of the rebuild. You should have something to show for it. And Matt Barrows was on um, uh, this past week before the Green Bay game, actually, and, and they asked him about uh, how what he felt about the rebuild. And he too said that it was basically the the fact that they had to go for it in 2000, 2019. That was that was the year that they really had to make a big jump. And I think that he said the same thing on our show too. It just really comes down to. We're, we were spoiled at one point, and we're a, fa- a fan base that's salivating for more. And it hurts me to see Levi's half empty, and it hurts me to see the team losing all these games, and it hurts me to see all of the fellow 49ers fans suffering like that. So we're with you guys. We go through it with you. We may be frustrated, but it's not because we hate the team or anything like that. It's because we want change. Just we, we, want, we want them to be good again. Absolutely. Very well said. Now, in terms of this upcoming week, uh, I don't think they have any chance against the Rams. <laughs> the Rams haven't really played it well the past couple of weeks, and they might take it out in the Niners. Uh, I think the Niners are going to score some points, but you could see a 37, 40-point game from the Rams. But I will say this. This is the last week, 
I think for a little while that I'm going to pick against the Niners. So Niners will be one and six after this week, but then there could be some wins on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think that the Rams have been, <laughs> they've been waiting for kind of a soft spot on their schedule. The Niners are heavy underdogs. I believe they were double digit home underdogs, which happens like once or twice in NFL season. And it happens to be the 49ers, but Hey, Speaking of 94, they're wearing their 94 throwbacks, so that's one good thing. That's one thing there to look go. back on. And yeah, the, and it's I believe Dwight Clark is getting a statue in front of the stadium, which is awesome. Fantastic. Um, they were supposed to be at – this was supposed to be the, the, nitro, the nitro game, the night game, and they flexed them out, which is a shame because it would have been nice to have Dwight Clark's statue unveiled on national TV, but it is what it is. So um, I think that I'm with you. It'll be like a 38-point game for the Rams, and they'll probably win like 38-20. All right, we'll see what happens. I think the Niners will at least have a better showing than some expect. But yeah, I think the Rams, the Rams are going to win this one pretty easily. So we'll be back next week to react to all of it. Until then, you could find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, 49erswebzone.com, or Google Play. For Zane, this is Al. Thanks, everybody. Peace.